Hello and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest news, explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics include... Entering postseason play, we preview all games taking place this wildcard weekend in the NFL. Plus, the surprises and disappointments from the NBA season so far. And Alabama or Ohio State. Which team will win the college football national championship? It's episode 8 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of 2021 of Let Me Speak. We've been off for a couple of weeks now, so I hope they had a very safe and healthy Christmas and New Year's, but we're back in 2021 with a big way. We've got another special guest joining me on the podcast. He's a fellow podcaster. You can check him out on his own podcast where you find it called the Nondescript Podcast. He's a good friend of mine. He is Johnny Mansaridis. Johnny, what is going on? Howdy, B. What's going on, man? How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. That was that was the intro of all intros. I'm I'm very very appreciative to. Hey, I that. told you right before we were recording, you're getting all of it. You're getting all of it. I should mention 2000, okay, 2014 soccer state champion, I know, a fellow a fellow Tomahawk from T Hawk Nation. That's yeah, weird. so we'll get into uh, your podcast, the Nondescript Podcast. It's yeah. super cool. I've taken a ton of listens. You are such That's a nice. great storyteller. That's and we'll dive a little deeper later on. But tell me all about the podcast. What can people yeah. expect if they uh, tune in and listen? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's called the Nondescript Podcast. And it's, it's pretty like fitting for the name because we do cover kind of a multitude of things. The theme of the show is... I want people to listen in to find ways to take away to better themselves, whether that be spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. So we cover a range of topics that by the time you end the podcast and by the time you finish listening, you can take something away from the pod and be like, okay, I'm going to apply this to my life and make me happier, make me feel better. So, you know, we just had on like a licensed mental health expert. We have someone coming up from the social media world to talk about relationships with social media. I did an episode on candles. We've done first date advice. We've talked to a bar coach about the importance of working out. So, you know, if you're looking to start off the new year, right. And, you know, find some ways to help improve yourself or kind of kickstart yourself into a new gear, give it a listen, pick any episode, you know, they came out chronologically, but each episode has merit and value. So feel free to tune into anything and we just have a lot of fun. Yeah, and another, I, I'm just going to plug the podcast again. You, One of your episodes, you talk about meeting Xander Bogarts. I'm still very jealous of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Such a nice dude. Yes, and if you want to learn more, you can go on to listen to his podcast. Another little promo story. right there. Hey, much appreciated, man. It's a good story. It's a good story. All right, well, it's definitely an exciting time for sports, and I know you want to get into it just as much okay. as I do. And we're going to get right into the NFL playoffs because we've got postseason action mm-hmm. back in the NFL. We're going to preview all six games coming up this weekend on what is to be a wild, wild card weekend. And we'll start – with the first game that's going to be on Saturday, the Colts and the Bills, number seven versus number two. And Johnny, I expect a real high scoring affair. What are you going to 
look for in this game? I think it's going to be a real high-scoring affair from Buffalo. Indy, I'm much more up in the air about. And I feel like we've been up in the air about Indy all season. Um, You look at that running back core, Taylor and Hines, who are really, really talented. But for me, there's just such... There's such a big question mark on Philip Rivers. Is he going to show up? Is his body not going to be there for him? Is he going to be able to see the field? You know, even without age, he's always been notorious for kind of throwing it in the fourth quarter. And I think the Bills are going to come out and win this very, very easily. And I think this could be a runaway by the end of the first half. Really, a runaway? Because I think it's going to be really close. I don't know if you've seen what Indy's defense has done, but yeah. that's where they rely to. I totally get what you're saying about Phillip Rivers and how there's so many questions with him. Because, I mean, come on, he's 39. Yeah. And he's, he's had a good career, but he hasn't had an all-time career. So there's still yeah. questions surrounding him. But they have struggled defensively, the Colts have. They've allowed 20 points or more in six of their last seven. And mm-hmm. Buffalo, as you said, is such a high-powered offense that – If Buffalo's going to win, they need Josh Allen to get back into that MVP form because he has been doing Mm -hmm. that all season long. And Mm -hmm. he's gotten to a point where in his career where it might be time to prove it in the postseason. He Mm -hmm. took Buffalo to the postseason last year. He's got him at the number two seed this year. Now you have to wonder, what does he do in the playoffs? But Mm -hmm. there, there really needs to be a balanced attack from Buffalo yeah. because they have such a strong passing game, but not a very good run game. Mm-hmm. They're second in yards per game. They're third in pass yards per game, but they're 20th in rush yards per game. So that mm-hmm. is the big question to me for yeah. Buffalo, but I am on your side that Buffalo yeah. should be favored in this game. And I think with Indy too, I mean, take nothing away from that defense. When DeForest Buckner is out there for that defense, they are scared. Like that is a scary unit to go up against. And already you have Buffalo. That's not a great running team. So I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup because they're going to have to rely pretty heavily on the pass. But I mean, when Josh Allen is cooking, that last game he had, when he is cooking and he's making throws, there are times where he's making throws and you're thinking to yourself, only Mahomes and Rodgers can do that. Like, this is, a good, this is a dude that took such a leap and that is just putting so much talent onto the field. And you look at Buffalo, they're peaking at the right time. Like, they've started to play their best football in the past couple of weeks. So I think if they can have this game going into and they can really put on a show, I think this could kickstart them for a really deep run. Yeah, and I've talked about it with uh, my friend Ben May a couple weeks ago in our last episode. The Bills are set up for the future for years to come in the AFC East. Them and the Dolphins (laughs) look like the top two teams right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, again, I also think the defense needs to step up from that mid-pack level because Indy's no slouch when it comes to offense. As you said, they've got a great running game in Hines and Taylor, and obviously Phillip Rivers, his stat number, has put him in the top ten quarterback rankings for 2020 but will the Bills defense be able to hold that down will they be able to hold them down and maintain themselves with that offense but from what it sounds like you and me are both going to pick Buffalo for this game definitely definitely yeah so that will be game number one and game number two on that Saturday will be a nice little NFC West matchup between the Rams and the Seahawks now they've played twice Johnny and they both have been some tremendous games and if you agree with me this is Mm -hmm. all going to come down to quarterback play If Jared Goff is healthy, they get closer. If not, Mm -hmm. it might be a long day for Los Angeles. Yeah. And I think you just just said it best. If Jared Goff is healthy, they might get closer. 
that still doesn't really take them equal, in my opinion. I don't know. When I look at both of these teams, it's just like, just red flag fraud city all over the place. You had Russell Wilson, who started the year, and we thought he was going to be the MVP. And the conversation of, oh, he's never gotten an MVP vote, that came up again. But I don't know. That defense of Seattle is putrid. And vice versa, you have the Rams, who, you know, their defense has been really, really good. But Goff, like, Wolford is, is, is cute, and it's a great story. But think about how much money, $100 million quarterback in Jared Goff, and there are people genuinely questioning, a dude that took them to the Super Bowl two years ago, and they're questioning, it's a genuine debate, too, whether they should start John Wolford or Jared Goff. And there's arguments to be made on both sides. That's a really dire spot to be in. And I think, I don't know, you can speak more to this, but I think that says a lot about, like, the Rams' chances overall. Yeah, absolutely. I think their defense, they are number one in the league. I think that gives them a phenomenal chance. But I'm with you on Jared Goff. If he's, I would say if he does start, he gives them the best chance because Wolford hasn't just gotten into too many games. And this is kind of similar to the Philadelphia situation where there are quarterback questions and you think it might be an internal sort of struggle for that. Mm -hmm. But this Rams team has just been so inconsistent the past few years that you really have to question them. I mean, let's let's take away that they did go to the Super Bowl because they just barely made it on a missed pass interference call. So that's still, like, inconsistent there as well. But going on to Seattle, though, this is more to me about Seattle than the Rams because yeah. Russell Wilson, he's probably a top-five quarterback in my opinion, but the problem is he just makes too many mistakes. He's got the second-most picks in the league this year, and he's got the third-most sacks. So he's just got to be smart with the ball and have great ball security. Because as you said, this isn't the Legion of Boom. This isn't the defense that can carry you like they did against Peyton Manning and the Broncos six years Mm -hmm. back. This is a completely different team where where Russell Wilson has to carry the load and take control of this offense. And I feel like that's really interesting because I think the narrative around Russell Wilson has always been – He's a really intelligent quarterback. You know, when he runs, he slides. He makes sure not makes sure not to get hit to prolong his body. And, you know, the way that he throws the deep ball, he has so much arc on it to get it away from the receive to get it away from the defensive back so his receivers have a better chance to get it. Russell's a very intellectual guy. And I think his smarts or his game intelligence or his you know football IQ has never really been questioned too much. But I think you have to start to at the end of the season, like you mentioned that high turnover rate with the interceptions and that high sack rate. Listen, their offensive line isn't great, but when you're Russell Wilson and you are that mobile, I mean, you, you, you don't like to see that such, you don't like to see that many sacks, but I don't know. I think Russell is going to pull it through. I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's such a good quarterback and DK Metcalf is disgustingly, disgustingly scary. I mean, they have, they have a really good team. I, they need to go back to the run. Chris Carson is a, is a problem. And when they don't run the ball and they just rely on Russell to throw, you, you see what happens over the past couple of weeks. So if they can establish that run game very early on, which is hard to do against the Rams, but if they can establish that run game and start to get some play action open for Russell and start to mitigate the opportunity for mistakes, I think that's going to help him out a lot. But I do think that we need to start to look at his football, especially if this game doesn't go well for him. You need to look at his football IQ and say, is it as high as we initially thought it was? Yeah, not only that, but Russell's getting into the 30 age. He's getting, he's knocking exactly. on Father's Time's door. He's creaking a little bit. But when Russell is on it, he is 
on it. He is so dangerous. So if he's on it this week, it should be a Seattle win. And then the nightcap in that game is our old friend Tom Brady Mm -hmm. and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to the 7-9 NFC East winning Washington football team. I've Mm -hmm. said it so many times how the NFC East team gets a home game is beyond me, but – this is a sneaky good 7-9 and nine team. This could be, I think, Johnny, uh, the situation from Seattle about 10 years ago when they went 7-9, and nine, they hosted the Saints, and they beat him with that incredible run by Marshawn Lynch. I think Washington has all the tools to really make this a game. They have, they have all the tools, but I think, you know, and we'll get into it in a bit, but Tom Brady is going to complicate that. But you look at this Washington team, and they pose a really good matchup for a lot of reasons. What is Tom Brady not the best at doing? Being mobile. What is Washington's defensive line really, really good at with someone like Chase Young and Montez Sweat getting after the quarterback? I mean, I think it's going to be just like such an interesting matchup. If you can get that defensive, you know, secondary for Washington, who have had some question marks, but have been pretty good. If you can get them to hold that receiving core for even a little bit longer, a half second longer, that defense is going to propose like a pretty solid matchup. And, we were talking about the Bucks defense being really, really good last year and, and such. They've not been that good in 2020. They can be had, and Washington is sneaky versatile with Gibson and with McLaurin and J.D. McKissick and Logan Thomas coming on as a really, really good tight end who can just go up and get the ball. I mean, who on that, who on that Bucks defense can match up with a Logan Thomas? I think it's going to pro- pose some interesting matchups. I think the fact that, you know, the betting line is minus eight, I think that's a little disrespectful to Washington. I think it's going to be a closer game. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is probably going to come down to maybe a field goal or less, but you said <laughs> it. The Bucks, they just overall have not been good against good teams. They're two and five this year against teams that finished 500 or better. Now, credit, this is a sub 500 team, but Washington picked it up as of late. Remember that every team in that division was like three and eight. Then mm-hmm. Washington turned it up. But as you said, this is going to be the defense winning that game. Also, mm-hmm. Alex Smith, he, he doesn't even have to be elite. He just has to stay on the field and, and drive them down. You know, they, yeah. this could be the first team to 20 wins, essentially, yeah. because Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, they do have the best rush defense, but this isn't much of a running team. Alex Smith is a capable quarterback, and yeah. he can get them down the field But the big question I have for Tom Brady is, is he as effective if Mike Evans does not play? Because remember, Evans hurt his knee last week against Atlanta, and Evans is such a big red zone threat. He's fourth in the league in reception touchdowns at 13. Mm -hmm. So Brady's going to have to go to his other weapons that he doesn't normally use, like Antonio Brown, maybe a little bit more of Rob Gronkowski, get Mm -hmm. Godwin in there, get Scotty Miller, all of them. So what can Tom Brady do with the weapons around him? It sounds yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it sounds like it, to me personally, I think Washington's going to pull the upset. I don't know. What do you say? I still, as, as a New England fan for my entire life, I have been shown time and time again, you don't bet against Tom Brady. So I'm sticking with that. I would love, I would love to see Washington upset, but I do think Tom's going to pull it out. Listen, you lose Mike Evans, you lose someone who ever since he has stepped foot in the league for seven seasons in a row has put up a thousand yard seasons. You're going to miss that guy. That is, that's for sure. But you just went through it. You have Antonio Brown, you have Chris Godwin, 
you have Rob Gronkowski, you have Tate, you got Rojo coming out of the backfield for net. That's uh, that can be capable in that sense as well. They have a lot of talent, but my one concern with Tampa is, is I, I just don't, I don't see them. I see them really struggling. They have not been a good first half team and you cannot do that in the playoffs. We look at Tampa and people are like, Oh, you know, they've really started to come into form these last three weeks. They've played the Falcons twice who are not very good. And they've played the Lions once, who are putrid. So, yes, they've looked really good the past couple of weeks, but, like, they played against garbage teams. You said it. They Two, or, two and five against teams over 500. And I don't know. I, I do think that Washington is capable of pulling the upset. I'm just not sure they're going to be able to get it over the line, especially if it's late fourth quarter and Tom Brady needs to go down the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll tell you what. The, the quote, though, by Chase Young to Tom Brady, I'm coming after him. That's either going to live in infamy or it's going to be the most famous quote. That you're, is de- you're a Patriots yeah, fan. When has someone calling for Tom Brady or just Boston in general, when has that ever ended well? I would say about 10% of the time it's ended well for whoever says that quote. <laughs> I would <Sorry>. say so. <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what Chase Young can do uh, in Washington against Tom Brady if he can mm-hmm. go after him in that backfield. So those are the Saturday games. Now we'll move to the Sunday games. And this, the first one on Sunday is going to be a lot of fun. Baltimore and Tennessee. If you recall, the last two times they've played, the last two times they've played, it's been extremely exciting. Remember, Tennessee knocked Baltimore out last year when everyone was picking Baltimore to make the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then this past year, it was really the, the overtime win versus Tennessee that kind of sent Baltimore on that downward spiral that they had for a couple of weeks, but this is all going to be about the run game. It's going to be the athleticism of Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins and all of them in the Baltimore backfield versus the absolute strength and power of the NFL's leading rusher, Derrick Henry. I, If you are a betting man or woman or wherever you align, if you bet, you take the over on this game a hundred times out of a hundred there will be so many points scored in this game I mean that last playoff game Lamar Jackson or the last you know Lamar Jackson goes and puts up 500 combined yards rushing and passing and they lose the game um I just think when I look at a game like this Tennessee's defense has been very very suspect last year when they beat them in the playoffs and you know you had that big upset I think Tennessee's defense was a lot stronger and they were able to generate turnovers a little bit easier. I, I don't see that with them now. They're one of, if not the worst third down team in the NFL. You're going up against Baltimore who just runs all over the place and they really don't have anyone in the box that can step up to take on that challenge. Um, I think it's going to be an absolute shootout because then you look on the flip side, Derrick Henry could run all over the park again. Baltimore's defense has been suspect. They've been good at times and really poor at other times. So I think it's going to be a really, really high-scoring game, but I think Baltimore has the edge in this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a little iffy. I've been iffy on Baltimore for a long time because mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, he's a great quarterback. I'll, I'll give him a top-10 ranking in that. But yeah. the problem is he just he can't throw the ball as effectively as a Patrick Mahomes or yeah. an Aaron Rodgers. And he's just – the team is relying on the run a little bit too much and Mm -hmm. you could almost say the same thing about Ryan Tannehill except he's not really known for a mobile quarterback so it's really going to come down who to who can make the big throws in the most timely manner because as you said 
they have a ton of weapons in Baltimore. Tennessee, yeah. you know, everyone continues to doubt them and overlook them, and they got as far as the AFC Championship, and they took it to Kansas City. They really did take it to them. But it's really going to be about which quarterback can make the biggest plays because Ryan Tannehill, he's probably got to be the most underrated player in the NFL right now. No one knows how good he has played since he's gone to Tennessee. And it was uh, shocking to me to see that this was the first time in his career that he got 10 wins on the year. So mm-hmm. props to him for that. But I, it's hard to say what Baltimore is going to do because it's been a little bit inconsistent. They've played yeah. better, but it's kind of similar to Tampa where they've played subpar teams. But I just think Tennessee has more to prove, especially – what a phenomenal game they had against Houston, getting that yeah. field goal at the, the last second on the doink. Mm-hmm. I think Tennessee is, is on the road to uh, trying to avenge themselves from that championship yeah. game. So I think Tennessee is going to take this one. I know Baltimore has all the weapons on the ground, but I mm-hmm. think Tennessee, you know, they've got a strong defensive-minded coach in Mike Vrabel. Yeah. You want to talk about underrated player? He's an underrated coach, a very Absolutely. great coach. Absolutely. In Mike Vrabel, the partner with your buddy Teddy Bruschi there up on the wall. Absolutely. But I, I think I'm going to pick Tennessee on this one. Oh, okay, that's, that's fair enough. I, I think the only thing I would, I would respond to with that is, you know, Vrabel is such a good defensive coach, but defensively, Tennessee has not been good this year. They allow a lot of points. And I think Tennessee can get into a shootout, and I think that they can win Tannehill is unbelievable throwing the deep ball, especially we saw that in the game with Houston last week. But I just, I don't, I don't know. I think when it comes to being able to throw the ball and being able to run the ball and put up a lot of points, I think clock management is another thing that's going to come into this game and be pretty important, you know, with Baltimore running the ball and with Vrabel being such a smart coach. And, you know, we saw in the AFC game last year when he took on the Patriots and did his little stunt with, you know, burning clock with the punting team. Mm-hmm. I think clock management and the really nitty-gritty details, this is going to be such an interesting game to watch, I think, from every perspective. Two great teams offensively that can shoot out, two suspect defenses, two coaches in Vrabel and Harbaugh who are very, very smart and willing to do pretty creative things as well. I think this is just going to be an awesome game to watch. Yeah, it's definitely going to be the game of the week for the Wild Card Weekend, I'll tell you that. Uh, But moving on to what I would call the Cinderella team of the playoffs right now, the Chicago Bears at (laughs) 8 and 8 just oh. sneaking into the playoffs at the in the last two weeks they mm-hmm. gotta go to new orleans take on the number two saints i mean johnny did you ever think let's say three or four weeks ago that the bears would be in the playoffs considering the situation they've gone through all year not at all i mean come on they they go on that what five game losing streak going into started five and one they started got five to and about one. got to about five and seven at one point yeah, and then you, I don't, I don't know. Like I remember, I watched that game when they played the Saints earlier, and they lost twenty-three to sixteen in OT. I remember watching that game and and looking at just how putrid the Bears were on a lot of different aspects. That defense is really good, but offensively they are a bit like cataclysmically poor. I I know to answer your question. No, I would have never seen the Bears in this position. Yeah, not only that, but remember all the quarterback going back and forward. You know, starting yeah. with Foles, Trubisky, back to Trubisky, and all that. Yeah. They just have so many questions on the offensive end. I think they're going to put up a good fight, but I think New <laughs> Orleans is definitely going to take this one all yeah. the way. I mean, if Chicago can get a strong defensive game, if they can get to Drew Brees, and if David Montgomery can have a good day, good game, 
maybe they have a chance. But I think the Saints are just too much with or without Alvin Kamara, depending on his status. I mm. think the Saints just have too many weapons compared to Chicago, and it should be an easy game for Drew Brees. And I think that defense is just going to eat Mitch Trubisky alive. I think if you're the Saints, you need this to be a get-right game in a sense. And it's weird that we're having get-right games and the wild-card weekend of the playoffs. But if you're the Saints, that has to be the case. Um, you know, you didn't have your running backs all last week. There's been a lot of questions asked about that team all season long. Um, and I think that this is a week for them to kind of like get ready for the next week because I'm in agreement with you. I don't see many people picking Chicago to win this one. Yeah, not only that, but remember, reports are coming out that Drew Brees might retire after mm-hmm. this year. So he might want to go out with a bang. So yeah. that's a pretty easy pick for us. We'll pick the Saints mm-hmm. over the Bears. And then the last game to end, end it is probably, I would say, the games with the biggest question marks on both sides. And that's Cleveland and Pittsburgh. First off, shout out to Cleveland for finally getting into the postseason. It took them long enough. Since 2002, they mm-hmm. finally get in. But they've just had so many setbacks, including recently this past week with more positive COVID tests. They're not Mm going to have their head coach, Kevin Stefanski. There's a lot of questions here, Johnny, for Cleveland. But there's also questions for Pittsburgh, too, Mm -hmm. if this 11-0 team that started that way is going to continue or if they'll still be on that downward trend where they lost uh, three games in a row. Yeah, I think that this is going to be such an interesting matchup because – Pittsburgh is really, really good at passing the ball, at throwing the ball. Big Ben can sling it around the park when he really needs to. There's been questions about that, but, I mean, you looked at that last game versus Indy, and he comes out in the second half and just throws the ball all around the park, and they they walk out winners in a really, really fun game, or two games before, rather. Um, And Cleveland is really good at stopping the run with Miles Garrett in that front line. They're not really good at stopping the pass. And if you know one thing about Pittsburgh – they don't run the ball ever. They are horrible, like horrible at running the ball. So I Last think, in the league. Last in the league. I think defensively it's going to be an interesting matchup for Cleveland because they haven't been notoriously good at defending the pass. I mean, you watched the blowout game versus the Tennessee Titans earlier in the year where, you know, Baker went out and balled in the first half. But Tennessee made that into a semi-interesting game because of how bad Cleveland's secondary played. And that's not the first and only time they've done that. I mean, you're going up against Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay John. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a solid group of wide receivers they've got to put up against, and I'd be interesting to see how they match up with that. Yeah, that's definitely going to be the big question because I think Pittsburgh, as you said, they have all the weapons at wide mm-hmm. receiver, and we know Big Ben can throw the ball. If the, They might not need a running game, but I know their defense has to stop Cleveland's running game because yes. they got the two-headed monster in Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That's going to be the key. If they can stop them and make Baker Mayfield win this game, then that's Mm -hmm. going to be the big thing. Because remember, Jarvis Landry, he's coming off of the COVID list. Mm -hmm. He's only played in a handful of games. You you just got so many questions surrounding Cleveland right now that I think Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, this is is their opportunity. I don't think they're going to be the Patriots of last year where they completely blow this game. Yeah. But – I think they can get past they can get past Cleveland, especially with all the the drama and the the COVID virus and all of that. Definitely, I think I think Pittsburgh losing Bud Dupree on their defensive line hurt a lot more than people want to admit. Uh, T.J. Watts, the leader on that D line, obviously he's a monster and he should be 
you know, in consideration for defensive player of the year, if not be awarded that. But I don't know when it comes to Pittsburgh's defense as well. I, one of those things, you know, that, that, that we've seen is they're a team that once they, once they lost Bud Dupree and in the second half of the season, they can be had, like they can be run on pretty easily. Um, if you have a good wide receiving core, which the Browns absolutely do, they're, they're a team that you can definitely throw the ball on. And I, I think that if Cleveland can establish, like you said, if Cleveland can establish that run game, and I think Nick Chubb, all respect to Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb should be in consideration as, as one of the top running backs in this league because he is a monster, like unbelievable. He led the league in, a, I think, like yards per game or something like that, and he missed a good chunk of the season. So Nick Chubb is for real. Kareem Hunt is for real. Is Cleveland's got a really good offense, and you know if they can, obviously missing Kevin Stefanski is going to hurt a ton. But if they can establish some early dominance and force Pittsburgh to be so heavily reliant on the pass that Cleveland can just drop back and and play cover two and you know have those good defensive linemen get after the quarterback with that suspect Pittsburgh offensive line, Cleveland could put themselves in a really good position. Yeah, I totally agree. A good offensive game will win Cleveland this game. But yeah. as we said, it's going to be an absolutely wild wild card weekend. We're going to move on to the NBA and we're about probably two weeks into the season and there are, you know, we're not going to overreact insanely. We're just going to talk about the teams that maybe have surprised us recently and a couple teams Mm -hmm. that have disappointed recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to go first and I'm just going to say the Orlando magic being in the top five. Mm -hmm. That's a shocker to me, especially when you look at the numbers that they have, because Mm -hmm. they're relying on the defense and their rebounding. They have five guys on their roster, averaging over 10 points a game. Early on, Terrence Ross looks like the sixth man of the year Mm -hmm. with averaging 20 points off the bench. And then you have Nikola Vucevic uh, averaging a double-double. Again, we're probably going to overreact to this right now. We're going to savor the time the Magic have right now. We're going to savor the time the Magic has right now sitting at the top of the Eastern Conference. But what what are some teams that are surprising you so far early on? I mean – I mean, I think for me, this was a super easy one. The New York Knicks look good. Like, they look like a serviceable, decent basketball team. And they've beaten some teams that are not scrubs. Like, they blew out the Bucks by 20 points. Um, you know, they won against the Cavs, which, you know, I think the Cavs could also be said as another early preseason, like, runaway of someone who's really impressive but I look at the Knicks and I look at how good that they've been um RJ Barrett looks like he's really coming into form almost averaging 20 points a night Julius Randle looks like he is all-star caliber Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly have hit the floor running I think picking up Austin Rivers as a guard was a really really savvy move and you know for as much crap as Thibs has gotten over the years he's got these boys playing and especially because they're so young I think they're going to suit his very high energy style of play and I think they're don't know if they're going to make the playoffs but I think they could make a push for that eight seed or that seven seed for sure if they keep playing along this way well remember they've got the play-in as well so we got 10 teams so they could get into this play-in but Going back to Coach Thibodeau, as you were saying, this is a guy who is well-respected all throughout Mm -hmm. the league. His time in Chicago, his brief stint in Minnesota. But there's one thing that Tibbs does 
which is the key to all of his teams, and that's playing defense. These yeah. they have so many defenders, like you mm-hmm. said, Julius Randle having a great All Star team, but they're winning this these games right now with defense. They're yeah. top five in almost all uh, defensive categories in terms of points per game mm-hmm. and field goal percentage and all of that. But Coach Tibbs, give him credit for this research because it's been a very long time since the Knicks a have been relevant and mm-hmm. b have had a coach that is well-respected. I mean, even when Mike D'Antoni wasn't there, no one really respected him as much mm-hmm. as they did. I mean, you probably have to go back to the Isaiah Thomas days when he yeah. was coaching with the Knicks Absolutely. in the mid-2000s. But I think, if not this year, definitely next year for the Knicks because they mm-hmm. can retool. They've got the perfect young core right now. And I think they've found their identity where you have Randall dominating the offense, you have R.J. Barrett, as you said, being that second option. And then Kevin Knox, who was in the starting lineup for a couple of years, coming off the bench, that would probably suit him better. Because when he's in the starting lineup, you're asking him to take too much of a lead. And don't forget, I forgot to mention this name, Mitchell Robinson, a great center, very underrated center, who I think is going to have a long career in this league. So I'll give you another team that's been sort of a surprise, and that's sticking in the East. The Cleveland Cavaliers. How about them? How about them being mid-pack right now? Yeah. I mean, and keep this in mind. Kevin Love has only played two games for them. Two games. Mm-hmm. They have an incredible backcourt in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. They've got the defensive identity with Andre Drummond being mm-hmm. the leading rebounder. He gives them that presence down low where you basically forget about Tristan Thompson, who's with Boston right now. And similar to the Knicks, They play defense, and they play defense well. They're top five in opponents' points per game, and they're the first in steals per game. This is a defensive team, and we'll see it early on in the year. We'll see the strong defensive teams get to the top right now. It'll take a little bit of time before the good offenses come around. They get their mojo, Mm -hmm. and they start shooting the ball well. But for right now, Cleveland, the defensive team, let's sing their praises now before they plummet to the bottom. Hey, I shout shout out to Cleveland. I think I I think they look really really good. And you know, you spoke about good defensive teams versus you know the good offensive teams surging later. I think Sexton and Garland have been putting up really really good numbers, like close to twenty a night between the two of them. I I, I don't know. You have these two guards that are so athletic and can really run the floor and create so much space that you know when you look at what makes a good playoff team, you look at a team that can get buckets from a diversity of different players and and can space the ball really well. And I think it's the early signs of it, but I think we're seeing that out of Cleveland. I think their ability to move the ball and create space with all that athleticism on the floor is going to, I may say it it may allow them to make a postseason run. I think that if they're playing like they are now and they continue to progress in the way that they're doing, you mentioned that that play-in could be sneaky for them. Mm Yeah, that's the thing with the playing is you give more teams the opportunity yeah. uh, to, to make the postseason. So we could see the Knicks, we could see the Cavs and the mm-hmm. Magic and all of them. They can get into the postseason. Now, I do have one more surprise team who I think Ooh. has been really good. I have one as well, but go first. I'll go, I'll go first, and I'll give you the Golden State Warriors. I'll give, you the, Warrior. I'll give you the Warriors because here's, here's the thing. Not a lot of people were high after Klay Thompson got that terrible injury. All right, they were mm-hmm. thinking – another lost year for the Warriors or, you know, they won't be in the cellar, but they won't be 
and championship contender. But mm-hmm. lo and behold, there's a guy who's been probably an all-time great at Hall of Famer. His name is Steph Curry, and mm-hmm. he's showing us why he's probably the greatest yeah. at this moment in terms of shooting. Just this reemergence has been so great. It's almost reminding me of what LeBron James did for Cleveland in his second stint, carrying mm-hmm. the team to the NBA Finals, putting the team on his back for – And a team that doesn't have as many weapons. I think this team has a few more weapons than that Cleveland team in 2015 did in the finals. You got Wiggins, Wiseman, Draymond Green, Mm -hmm. all of them. But Steph Curry, 62 and then 30 30. in back-to-back games. That should tell the story right there. The Warriors, they're a top-10 offense right now, but their defense needs some work. But for those that forgot, Steph Curry is still an all-time great. Of course he is. And I think, I don't know, like he was a unanimous MVP not so long ago. This is a dude that can ball, that is really, really good on both sides of the floor, that can shoot the lights out. I mean, 92 points in seven quarters of basketball is an absurd statistic. He plays any time in the fourth quarter whatsoever. He's going well over 102 games, which is disgusting. This is a Golden State team that has a lot of pieces. Once again, they're pretty young. Like they have dudes that can run the floor Wiseman can ball he is like does he not remind you of Giannis a little bit the height the athleticism the way he can run the floor I I don't know I think this Golden State team people wrote them off very early after some bad losses but this is a team that's for real you have Steph Curry as your leader and Steve Kerr as your coach this is a team that's going to be for real yeah, and that was the big question for, for Curry was, can he put the team on his back? Because a lot of people will say in past years he's relied on Durant, Thompson, Green, and all that. But he's mm-hmm. going back to what really brought him to the dance, and that was taking over the team, having phenomenal shooting, and just mm-hmm. putting the team on his back. And yeah. I'll, give, I'll give Warriors probably like a mid-pack if they can continue the way they are, if they can hone it in defensively. The Wiseman – comparison it's a little bit of a stretch because no one because no one is like Giannis there's no no one like Giannis Antetokounmpo right now but I totally agree I loved that pick where they picked him at number two and Mm -hmm. I think that's what they needed and that's why yeah that's why I think the Warriors are yeah they're they're to be taken legit now you said you had a surprise team who who are you who are you gonna throw at me I got one last one and I'm also gonna go to the Western Conference and show them a bit of love the Phoenix Suns they ended the bubble 8-0 and didn't go to the playoffs. And they added Chris Paul, who is a bona fide – I mean, we talk about leaders, dudes that can take over a game and just control the back and see the game at a different speed. They add a man like Chris Paul. They add Jay Crowder in the backcourt or in, in the backcourt to give them a little bit more stretch on the wings. And they have just picked up where they left off. I mean, they've shot out early in the season. They've had some really good grinded-out wins. They can win in a bunch of different ways. I mean, you want to go lights out shooting, you got to compete with Devin Booker. You want to go game mentality and basketball IQ, you got to go up with Chris Paul. You want to be, play big man, big body, you got you to go up with DeAndre Ayton. They have a lot of ballers on that team, and they've showed up really well. And they have young pieces that are all very, very good. I think that this is a team that's going to be really good this season and is going to be really, really good for a couple seasons to come. Yeah, I was going to put Phoenix on my list, but I remember that a lot of people had these expectations of them being a good team. So yeah. it's not it's not too much of a shocker because I knew they were going to be much better. As you said, they went undefeated in the bubble. 
then they add all these weapons. But I think it just looks like Devin Booker is more comfortable with the team he's at right now. I think he's happy that he's got all these pieces around him that can help Mm -hmm. him out. Because remember, he was averaging almost 30 points a game last year, and he got snubbed for the All-Star team before uh, Damian Lillard had that injury, and they Mm -hmm. they voted Devin Booker in. So he's come out with just that mentality of, I'm a great player. Where's my help? And he's mm-hmm. got that help. He's got, he's got a guy in Chris Ball who's realizing he doesn't have to take over the game. And he's just got to be a leader off the court than he is on the court. And we know yeah. that about him. There have been some questions about him, but there's no doubt that he brings out the best for all players that he's been, no matter where he's been in uh, New Orleans, in L.A., Houston, Oklahoma mm-hmm. City. He brings out the best in them. So yeah, now no, we'll I... go from the surprises to the disappointments. And I'll throw the first one at you. This one was kind of easy for me, and it's the Toronto Raptors right oh, now. Yeah, that, that sitting, in the, yeah, sitting in the bottom three of the East right now, mm-hmm. those losses of Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol are now more important than ever. And then mm-hmm. just Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, they're not playing to those all-star levels yeah. since the bubble. I mean, they're last in shooting. They're last in rebound differentials, so they just don't have the size down low, and they don't have the pieces that they did, like in their championship year and then last year. Mm-hmm. I I just look at Pascal Siakam, and he's on a max deal. That's a lot of money that you're giving to somebody who's very, very one-dimensional. I mean, if you can stop the spin move, he doesn't offer a lot to the game. His shooting is not great. He has his one-post move. Even if he gets fouled, his free throw percentage is not really that good either. Um, you have a Toronto team that lost pieces and didn't replace them. The same sort of thing with Kawhi. You lose Kawhi Leonard two seasons ago, and you go back into the season with the same squad, Sons, your best player. Now, obviously losing you know, Serge Ibaka, that's not your best player, but he's someone that added a lot of depth to the team and that added a lot of chemistry to the team as well he's such a good and positive impact off the floor and in his personal life with his cooking show like there's a lot to be said about that especially in a, in a team like Toronto that has to play their games in Tampa Bay and are away from their families and the mental aspect of the game is much stronger than it than it probably is for any other NBA team um, I just think that they lost too many pieces and really didn't replace them with anything yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, Aaron Baines, yeah, he's a nice pickup, but he's not, you know, he's not on that level of, oh, he'll put you over the hump. Um, mm-hmm. And it could it could take some time, remember that. But they do have pieces in the starting lineup where if they can find their mojo, they'll get going. They got Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, don't forget him. They re-signed yeah. him. Imagine where Toronto would be if they didn't re-sign Fred Van Vliet. I, I they would they would be firmly rooted to the bottom of of that eastern standing but I don't know like are those the guys that are going to take you to an NBA championship like, I would say I would say no at the moment so so and, and and that's the issue is like where is Toronto going they lost these pieces they have a coach who in my opinion has started to regress where are they going as a franchise? Like they're, they're not building on anything. They're just losing out and they're going into the season weekend thinking that they're going to reach the same heights that they made when everyone in the East, Orlando's in first, everyone in the East is getting better except for them. And you take off two seasons like they kind of have, and the league's going to pass by you. And I think we're starting to see that. 
Yeah, and I think the thing is they sold out for that championship, and now mm. they're starting to pay the contract. Kind of similar to like what the Patriots were doing in the NFL. They sold out to give Tom Brady his rings, and now they're paying for it. But yeah. we'll get into the Patriots in our local segment. Oh, another another disappoint another disappointment team. I would have to say right now, Denver Nuggets. Okay, because really? De- Denver they're they're right now in the bottom of the conference, and I know part of it is with like all the health and the injuries. Obviously, Michael Porter Jr had to sit out because of health protocols with COVID-19 yeah. and all that. But they just don't look the same because Jamichael Green was a great pickup for them, but he just mm-hmm. hasn't made an impact just yet. He missed the early part of the year, and he's just now starting to find his place. I mean, mm-hmm. they're sitting right now as we speak at 2-4, and four, and just the defense outside of Nikola Jokic has been, has been lacking because we know he's a great defender down low. But who do they have on the perimeter? who can play defense. They had Jeremy Grant, but they lost him to Detroit. So who else is going to be there outside of Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, all of them? And I think we saw that in the playoffs last season. Like, this is a good ball club, but they do not play any defense whatsoever. And you lose your best defender. Once again, it's about replacing pieces. You lose your best defender. Is Jamichael Green going to make up what, what he lost? I don't particularly think so. Um, I think that this is a team that if they get into the playoffs, that their play is suited to, to win in the playoffs. But I don't think their play is suited to win in the regular season. You can't get into a shootout every single night. And I think that's kind of their issue. And they, they have a good, 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 good squad. Like they have the pieces there. I think that, you know, once the season starts to come into mid form, kind of like you said, the better offensive teams, the more we play down the line are going to start to find their mojo and their groove. And, you know, that game pace is going to come back to them a little bit easier. But, you know, in the same breath, this is a team that was in the bubble. They didn't have nine months off. They had, you know, six, seven weeks off. So it's odd to see them starting the way that they have for sure. Um, I'm not super concerned about them, but I do think that it's, it's been a disappointing start for sure. And I have, I have a ball club that yeah, go I, would, I would like to talk about a little bit. That's the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, this was a team that was almost the upset of, of the whole tournament. They took the Rockets in that incredible series in the bubble. They just lost out. Um, and people were like, okay, look at this team with all of their young pieces and a lot of draft capital. And then they go out in the off season and they get, you know, you lose Chris Paul, but you go out in the off season and you get a bona fide point guard in George Hill who can play. You get Trevor Ariza and you pick up Al Horford and you, you think, okay, they have the pieces. They're going to progress and they're going to continue and they're going to kind of pick back up where we left off. And they are, they are not looking good at all. I mean, some of the mistakes that they're making are like super, super rudimentary and fundamental. The basketball play just isn't there. Um, you know, Lugans Dort looks like one of their better players, which is not what you want to be hearing about your team when you have the ball players that you do. Um, I just think for a playoff team that was poised to make a Cinderella run last year and was on an upward progression, it's, it's weird to see how sharp of a downturn they've taken. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of on the line, kind of similar to Phoenix, whereas I kind of had these expectations for them in Oklahoma City because, remember, Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Steven Adams, just to name a few players that they also lost. So you could kind of see it right for your eyes that they Mm -hmm. were going into tank mode. And not to say, like, they were going to be at the bottom, but I did not expect this team to do as well as they did uh, when they had Chris Paul a year ago. So that's kind of where I am. I don't really see a deep Oklahoma City run. 
I think Al Horford's past his prime. He's getting yeah. up there in age, you know, and, and the young guys, you know, I feel bad for the young guys like SGA, Shea Gildas, Alexander. He's got he's a, a future. He's got yeah. a future and he's, he's a great player, but they don't have really a direction for him. It's almost like yeah. they're going into the next two or three years without really much of a plan other than just to draft players and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing too is like, yes, you lose Chris Paul and you lose a, a, a bunch of good pieces in Chris Paul for sure. That's a dude that you can't just replace. And you lose Steven Adams and you lose Gallinari who are two good ball players, but are replaceable basketball players. They just didn't really do that. And you have Shai Gilders Alexander, who I, in my opinion, is, is good enough to take over an offense. And if you want to build an offensive mindset and game plan, you can build it around someone like him because he is very flexible and versatile and he can hit big shots. But I just think I knew that they weren't going to be as good as last year, definitely. But to see how far they've regressed is to me is, is pretty shocking. Yeah, I kind of think of it as they were trying to do this last year, but they realized, oh, we actually have some good pieces here, and they made a run for the postseason. So now they're going to try this year what they were trying to do last year. And so I'll throw one more disappointment at you from my list, and I'll give you the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I'll tell you why. There's no Carl Anthony Towns. You expect someone else to step up, and no one has. All right? You have have D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. You drafted number one Anthony Edwards. But this team has just not gotten anywhere. They have the second worst three-point shooting percentage at this at this moment. And they just Carl Anthony Towns needs help. That's just yep. the big thing, is that we know he's a great player, and when he's on the floor, he can do incredible things down low. Mm-hmm. But he just doesn't have any help at the moment. And unless Russell and Beasley can pick up the slack, I don't see this Timberwolves team going anywhere with the pieces they have. I mean, when you play against the Denver Nuggets last night and one of your key offensive pieces is Juancho Hernan Gomez, I think that speaks a lot about your, your franchise as a basketball team. Listen, they have really it, – it's so unbalanced. Carl Anthony Towns is an all-star. You have D'Angelo Russell, who is, when he's at his best, an all-star. You have Anthony Edwards, who's the number one pick and looks really, 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 really good. After that, it's just a bunch of names. Like, they don't have any depth at all. And they do this every single season where they might add, like, one very, very talented player, but they don't do anything. The best teams and the teams that have any sort of success have a sixth or a seventh man that can come in and give you minutes. Who's going to do that on this, on this Timberwolves team? Ricky Rubio? Nas Reed? Jared Vanderbilt? Like, these are guys that are going to come in and just waste minutes and not give you any sort of progression or production. So now you're relying on D'Angelo Russell to have 30 points every night. You're relying on, when he's healthy, Cat to come in and have a double-double with like 20 points. You're relying on your first-round draft pick to come in and be the unquestioned rookie of the year just to give you a chance because no one, on, no one else on this team is really pulling that weight. Edwards think, isn't even in the starting lineup. He's coming off is, the bench. Which is crazy. You're telling me that like so, someone like Ricky Rubio is getting more minutes or the same amount of minutes as, as Edwards. Doesn't make sense to me. It's unaccept- that's unacceptable as, as, as a franchise. And the Timberwolves have done this time and time again. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm over them. I, I'm so over them. I, every year people are like, okay, they have a chance. That, no, they, they, I look at them every year and I want them to be good. I want some sort of, like, I look at that team and I think of what could be, but 
they, they disappoint me every yeah, year. Yeah, they, so they have a ton of what could have been, especially in the Kevin Garnett days and all of that, and the Kevin Love they, days and all that. They, they had Jay it. Butt on that team, oh, my God, they could have been so – Jay Butt with Dibs and Cat. Like, this, they were – so many what-ifs. And now, like, they're just toiling towards the bottom. I'm, I'm out. I'm so they, – they, they frustrate me. That clip of that clip of Stephen A. where he gets mad at the Washington Wizards. That's how I feel about the Timberwolves. It's just, oh. <laughs> yeah, we we've all definitely got our head scratchers and all that. But hey, we're only two weeks into the year, so all these things could be gone within a month. get to our third topic which is a preview of the national championship between the Ohio State and number one Alabama I'll be honest John I haven't really paid attention to this season because there have been so many cancellations and postponements and all of that because of COVID but this is a game probably I think I'm definitely going to watch this and I think I'm going to be entertained because I think you've got the two best teams in here right now I know a lot of people were picking Clemson but I didn't really think they had as much talent as they did with Ohio State. And overall, I think similar to most of the games in the wild card this year, it's going to come down to quarterback play. Yes. And I think also similar with most of the wild card games, it is going to be an absolute shootout. And once again, if you're a betting person, you got to take the over on this one. I, I look at both of these teams and I look at how many weapons they have. You look at Alabama – Mac Jones is no scrub. He is a certified baller. Um, you have you know, Najee Harris coming out of the backfield. You have, I mean. Got the former Heisman winner who just won a night ago. Yeah. You also have Waddle who they're saying could be ready and could come back for the game. Like Smith and Waddle with like Najee Harris in the backfield. That's, a, that's unbelievable. That's like three t- first round draft picks all on the same field. Mac Jones could potentially be a second round draft pick. That's a lot of offensive talent. And then flip side, you have Ohio state with Justin Fields and with Olave and Sermon, who looks like the Derrick Henry 2.0. It's going to be a really, really, really fun game to watch. I'm interested to see who's going to pull out the win. Yeah, me too. And I think what you said with Mac Jones, I mean, the four TDs against Notre Dame, that was, Mm -hmm. that was a game, their game in the Rose bowl against the fighting Irish where They didn't have to turn on the Jets, I think. I think if they just played solid defense and marched down the field on a handful of drives, they would have won that game, which they mm-hmm. did, obviously, against Notre Dame, holding Ian Book down. Uh, but I just think they have too many weapons. I think Alabama, as you said, you just listed it over and over, all the talent that they have. And I think that's what puts them over the top. But yeah. the big key, I think, is Smith, who just won the Heisman last night. Yeah. He's leading the nation in receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. He's got career marks in the SEC and the school record for touchdowns. But I will say that if the Buckeyes have a chance, they have to play run defense like they did against Clemson. I mean, they only allowed 44 yards to the Tigers. Versus ETN, who is an animal. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. If they, they got to shut down the run. That's what the Buckeyes have to do. And I think, though, Ohio State, they do have something to prove to the doubters. 
because yeah. remember they're only seven and oh they've only played mm-hmm. seven games a lot of people were saying wait they were they were six and oh why are they in the final four there yeah. are so many teams that were deserving and all that and ohio state proved it against clemson that hey we are a great team and we do deserve to be in that final four so mm-hmm. if they have the motivation and the run defense then they can stop them but to me I think Alabama's just got too many weapons and they should win this game. I think another interesting to watch for is the coaching matchup as well. Ryan Day has looked very, very impressive over the past couple of games. Like this is a dude that is courting interest from the NFL right now. Um, But is he going to be able to match up against Nick Saban, which let's be honest, this is a national, this is a college football championship. This is Nick Saban territory. This is the Bill Belichick of college football. Like, this dude has been here before, done that before. And I think when it comes, you mentioned Alabama already has so many amazing weapons. When it comes to his knowledge and his understanding of the game, I think that his ability to scheme and his ability to understand the moment and understand the pressure, I think that's going to give him a, a pretty big competitive edge in the, in the final as well. You've got the professor Nick Saban at the helms. He'll lose this game now and again, but he will never lose it on consecutive years. That is no. definitely the case. But it'll be a lot of fun to see this Monday the national championship between mm. the Buckeyes and the Crimson Tide. I'm going to tell you a story. So now we will move on to our Let's Get Local of the Week. And, Johnny, you and I, we're big into these Boston sports. We we definitely have the motivation to see these teams succeed. Mm. And so far for the Celtics right now, not a lot of success at the moment. They're sitting at, you know, they're just hovering over 500. I know it's early in the year. But what are your takeaways so far right now from what you've seen with the Celtics? To be honest, I love it. Like, I, I think that they look really, really good. Okay, how have they lost their three games? One of them was a game-winning step back against with Tatum that he could have hit that shot and it could have been different. I mean, you had, you had a couple of those. You have the game versus Brooklyn when they get blown out early in the season. Okay, I understand that. That's a tough one to, to put up against. But I, just watching them, um, they're really deep this year. They added a lot of depth to that bench. If you look solely off of the transactions that they did and the transactions that they brought in, ignoring the draft, you went from Brad Wanamaker and Enos Cantor to Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague, which in my opinion is a much better upgrade. Um, And then you look at the rookies that they brought in. Naismith, he's looked pretty shaky early, but Peyton Pritchard, fast pee-pee, eight mile, whatever you want to call him, this kid is a baller and he looks awesome unbelievably good and I'm thinking about this team and you have there are so players duos averaging over 25 points a game there's only three of those in the NBA right now that would be Kyrie and KD in Brooklyn that would be Dame and CJ in Portland and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for the Boston Celtics people were saying are they going to be able to take the leap can they do this yeah they're doing it and they're doing it right now. They're not taking a couple of games to get warmed up or to get ready. No, they have come out of the gates flying. And I think, I think that loss versus the heat really kicked, kicked them into a gear where they said, you know what? 
we've been good, but we need to go win some championships now. Now we need to start making some moves. And I think with the pieces that they added and if Fast PP can keep playing the way that he is and Rob Williams, Time Lord, coming off the bench and looking like a certified NBA baller. I mean, he is a big man. He's very physical, but he has a really good touch. His ability to pass the ball and move the ball from the post and create more spacing and wide open shots. I'm telling you, I'm really like, this is... I know it's weird to say, but like this is the most excited I've been about a Celtics team in a long time. Even 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 that season with Kyrie, I'm I'm more excited for this team currently. Yeah, I think I, you have definitely a lot more optimism than I do right now because mm-hmm. I still think it's it's early and definitely. what you what you're saying could absolutely be true. But we're mm-hmm. only talking two weeks into the league right now. I totally mm-hmm. agree with your point on the two Jays, Tatum and Brown. They're definitely looking like all stars, and they are going to be the two that carry this team, even when Kemba Walker comes back from his injury. Those two are going to take this. And I mentioned it on the last episode, is that when Kemba does come back, that offense and that team is just going to get better because Mm -hmm. they do have more depth. We know Kemba, he doesn't have to take that load when he signed that huge extension. You know, you can pass it off to Tatum and Brown, and Walker can just be that complimentary player, especially considering he's getting up there in age and he Mm -hmm. didn't have a strong performance in the bubble. Now on eight mile with uh, Pritchard, he looks good, but again, it's too early to tell. This could just be open. It could just be opening week jitters. Mm-hmm. It could be a little run that he's having, but I think if he can sustain it, he's going to be a solid piece for the Celtics for years and years to come. Okay. I do have a couple questions about that depth. I like Teague. I like Thompson, but I'm looking at like Shemi Ojale, mm-hmm. Rob Williams. All right. Mm-hmm. They've been, they've been on the team for a couple of years now, and you start mm-hmm. to think, okay, when are they going to become key rotation players? And yeah. obviously Brad Stevens trusts them enough to give them plenty of minutes. Mm-hmm. I think Ojale, he's a little bit, you know, he's got questions on the offensive end if he can make yeah. those shots. He has been for the past couple of games. And then Rob Williams, it's really just his instincts right now taking over, and he's got to, like, mold himself defensively. right now because there are some times on the court where he just looks a little bit lost where he he's like kind of looking around okay what's my position where do I gotta be and then obviously with Neesmith you know he's got to get some more minutes to really like get into himself because remember he's a lottery pick he was hovering around you know the back end of the lottery and they took him with that pick uh, that they got from Sacramento so you'd have to think he's got to step in and he's got to start playing at that level eventually because you didn't you didn't pick him 14th for no reason and -hmm. he's got to start getting those minutes and hone himself self in but yeah I think there is a lot of hype with this team Mm -hmm. a lot a lot of questions and four and three right now as we're speaking probably not the best record you want but it's still early on you gotta remember they're, they're actually five and three. Five um, and three. Five and three. I forget, forgot about that, that win they had earlier. <laughs> it's still early. Hey, we're recording on a Wednesday. We release it on a Friday. Don't worry exactly. about it. That's what they, <laughs> they the, could, the heat, the heat, we haven't even seen the Heat game tonight. So, honestly, depending on how that goes, goodness, I, I could have a completely different answer. But, yeah. I don't know. Looking at Rob Williams in particular, I think, especially, like, I've watched, you know, not every single game this season, but I think I've watched either four or five of them. Um and the way that he has adapted and started to take the leap, and we saw it a little bit in the bubble too. Like he got some very meaningful minutes versus Toronto. He got some very meaningful minutes versus Miami as well. Like 
this is a dude, you know, he came in versus Philly, but we blew Philly out of the water, which Philly's in first place, but they still don't go scary. Rob is someone who started to take the jump, kind of like with the Phoenix Suns. He started to make progression and start to really take the game more seriously and take that jump from the bubble. And he's only progressed. I think he started to realize, hey, if I can play at this level that I'm playing at right now when I'm going out on the floor, I'm going to start to take away minutes from Daniel Tice. And who's in the starting lineup right now? Daniel Tice. Who is very re- who is the most replaceable person in that starting lineup, in my opinion? Daniel Tice. So I think Rob is looking at that and saying, okay, this is a team that needs a center going forward in the future. Tice is on his last year, and there's been questions about him coming back. They just signed Tristan Thompson in the offseason, so they're obviously looking for someone to come in and take that role. But Thompson, once again, is a veteran player who's not going to be the long-term future. I think Rob is looking at this and saying, I'm good enough to be a starter. I'm going to go out onto the floor and show everybody that I'm a starter. And I think that that is finally starting to motivate him. And I think we're seeing the numbers to, to play off that as well. Yeah, you picked the right word right there, motivation for Rob Williams. So we'll see what he does uh, all season long, if he can Mm -hmm. get himself into that starting lineup or if he possibly takes a step back out of the rotation and we could see more minutes for Taco. Taco fall. (laughs) Maybe. We'll see. There's still plenty of season left. It's only been two weeks. But speaking of seasons, there was a season that came to the end, and that was Mm -hmm. the New England Patriots. I just Mm want to – get your reactions to the team that went seven and nine. It yeah. looked like they struggled on offense a little bit. What were your overall takeaways from this team who didn't make the playoffs for the first time in probably a dozen years? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it was, it was tough to watch. Like there's bright spots for sure. Um, Damian Harris looks like a stud. And if you're coming into next year with a backfield of a healthy Sony Michelle and a healthy Damian Harris, that's a really, really good running back tandem. And you could argue that that's a top five running back tandem. This was a team that ran the football really well. This is a team that you're going to bring back, maybe not David Andrews, although I would love to see him back, as a team that you're going to bring back a lot of good offensive linemen. Michael Owenu, your sixth round pick, turned out to be like one of the top rookies in terms of PFF grade in this season. Um, defensively, JC Jackson balled and had 10 interceptions. But you know, Kyle Duggar looked pretty good too. But let's be honest, this is a team that wasn't very good. Um, They need a quarterback. They have a lot of holes that need to be filled, and a lot of those holes are pretty prominent positions. I don't know how they're going to do it. They have a lot of calf space to do it, but, you know, attracting free agents was a lot easier when Tom Brady was your quarterback. I don't think it's going to be nearly as easy to get those top-tier guys. Um, And I'd be interested, you know, what what, what do you think they're going to do with that 15th overall pick? Who do you think they're going to go get? What do you think they're going to do at quarterback? Yeah, that you basically just took the notes right off of my page because I had the exact I had the exact same thing. All the talent that they found this year in Damian Harris, J.C. Jackson, and I'll throw another one at you: Jacoby Myers. Not a, yes. not a, not phenomenal, but he definitely put himself in the spot for maybe a number two or a number three wide mm-hmm. receiver on the team for next year. To answer your question about that fifteenth pick, there are literally so many questions, and I think it's either got to be a quarterback or probably maybe like a defensive lineman because you have Dietrich Wise Jr. as well. You got Mm -hmm. Winovich. Lawrence Mm -hmm. Guy is going to be a free agent. That's going to be a big thing. But obviously, as you said, the big question is going to be in the quarterback. You could either go for a trade. You know, the name Carson Wentz and Jimmy Garoppolo has come up. You've got free agents like Ryan Fitzpatrick who have been thrown out there. Mm -hmm. But you could also go to the draft. You could go to Mac Jones if you want to – waste that pick on him 
who we just talked about earlier. You have Ian Book from Notre Dame, Sam Ellinger from Texas. You know, you have a ton of options out there. And I think whatever they do, it's going to tell us a lot about what they think about Jared Stidham. Because we've heard reports that midseason they didn't trust him enough to put him in ahead of Cam Newton. And I'll just get that right out of the way right now. Cam Newton, not going to be the quarterback. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but it's, this, it's really going to tell us this offseason what they think of Jared Stidham. Do they trust him to give him the keys, to give him the starting role with whatever kind of offense they give him? Or do you bring in someone else to take that starting role? And that'll mm-hmm. tell us, okay, Jared Stidham maybe isn't the future right now. But I think they need quarterback, and they also need wide receivers. That's obviously the big thing. They're going to get Julian Edelman back, which, God bless him, he's got to stay with New England. It feels like he's only got to be with one team. I don't care Mm -hmm. if he's 34. He's got injury history. Mm -hmm. You need him in that locker room. You need him in for his leadership, Mm -hmm. and you've got to bring Julian Edelman back. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some names in the wide receiver. As you said, it might be tough, but – You've got a guy like A.J. Green who might want to get back to the number one role. The -hmm. Patriots need a number one receiver. He could fit that role. You have Will Fuller who's looking for success. Obviously, he hasn't had success in Houston. But Mm -hmm. does he trust whatever quarterback New England has versus Deshaun Watson, who's a top five probably quarterback statistically from this past year? And then maybe a, a quiet name, maybe kind of a long reach, or a long shot right now, but Juju Smith-Schuster, does he want to stay with Pittsburgh or does he want to move elsewhere yeah. is the big question. But those are, those are, to me, some of the questions with New England that I have in the offseason. I think with Jared Stidham, I mean, with Cam, I love Cam, and I'm really sad that it didn't work out, but I want to say that. I think that he, obviously, he was really good for the locker room and the coaches couldn't speak highly enough about him, but you know, going into that last game with the Jets, he had three touchdown passes, which was great in a throwaway game versus the Jets. But going into that, his touchdown to interception ratio was five touchdowns to 10 picks. If this was also a dude that, as your starting quarterback, got benched twice in the season because of his poor play. If Jared Stidham can't beat out that guy with training camp and with practice and if the coaches look at Jared Sidham and say you're not throughout the entire season even after Cam was benched for him even after that they would go in week after week and say Cam is the better of the two if the if Bill Belichick thinks that to me there's no doubt in my mind that Jared Stidham's not good enough to be a starting quarterback and when yeah, we remember Brian that, Hoyer got the start versus Kansas City when Newton was which out. is unbelievable and that was a time where the Patriots were like still semi-competing and almost won that game but I don't know I think Jared Stidham is just is just not the dude um even when I've seen him play he just looks super dude he looks like a budget Jimmy Garoppolo like if you're going to do that, just go get Jimmy Garoppolo. Speaking of wide receivers, I think one other sneaky name that could be really interesting is Allen Robinson. He's set to become a free agent as well, and it is very, very well documented that he does not want to stay in Chicago. Um, I, think it, I think it all comes down to quarterback because if you're going to want to attract wide receivers, if you're going to want to attract a tight end, which you desperately need as well, and even from a defensive side, if you want to attract talent, Players want to see your ball club going in the right direction. And the way that they see that 
is by the ball club going and getting a good quarterback, going and getting who they believe is a franchise quarterback. I think Trey Lance at a number 15 could be really good. And then bringing in a Ryan Fitzpatrick as an old mentor to be your backup quarterback to try and mentor this kid, kind of like what he did with Tua this year. I think that that could be your thing. You're not going to get any free agents until you sign a quarterback. I think that's one of the things that we saw with the Patriots last offseason. I mean, yeah, they didn't have any money to bring anybody in, but nobody was coming. Brady was gone and no one knew who the quarterback was going to be. So, so we weren't able to attract anybody. You know, we got some defensive guys, but that was it. I think it's going to be the same thing this offseason. You have to make sure the league and the world knows that you have a quarterback and you're very confident in that quarterback and then players will want to start to come play with you, I feel. Yeah, and don't forget, you've got all the opt-outs coming back, like Dante Hightower, Patrick yep. Chung, Marcus mm-hmm. Cannon, Brandon Bolton, all of that. I say they got to re-sign James White. They got to re-sign Joe Tooney. Those yep. are definitely some keys right there. And don't forget about the personnel. Like, we just talked about it, but what about the other veterans on this team? I mentioned Edelman, but you got the McCourty twins. Yep. You've got uh, – Jonathan Jones, who had not a, not a great year, but a solid year. As you said, Matthew Slater, strong on the special teams. And what about yep. Gunnar Olszewski? He's been a great returner right now. He had, he had a couple good league. games. Yeah, exactly. You've got, yeah, you've got, you've got Gunnar going out there right now. But as you said, it all comes down to quarterback yep. play. If they get a good quarterback, they get the wide receivers. If not, it could be a long long off season for them yeah i mean you, you you think about it like they have all the pieces there to be a good playoff contention ball club what was the difference between them not going to the playoffs this year versus all the other years it was their quarterback play like you think about the close games versus buffalo and early in the season versus casey and versus seattle like they had the opportunity to pick up a couple of those games and potentially make a run at the playoffs. I mean, think about it. They won the tiebreakers versus ball. Like if it was a tiebreaker versus Baltimore, they had that tiebreaker. Like they, there was a chance that this team could have done things, but it really came down to quarterback play. When I look at also when you said about Jacoby Myers being a, a, a stud this season, I love Julian Edelman and I'm happy that he's coming back. But before he got injured, he did lead the league since 2018 and drop passes, which for me, I'm a little I, – I am a little concerned about. Yeah, he and did I used think, to be sure-handed. Remember all the yeah. receptions he had in the oh, Super Bowl. Oh, 100%. Bowls. But I think, you know, father time is starting to catch up with him. And I think that I want him to come back for the season, but we need someone to take his place. I look at Jacoby Myers, and I think this is a guy like Edelman who is a former quarterback who understands how to break zones, who understands how to get open and have sure hands for the quarterback and can break off a big gain when you need him to. I look at Jacoby Myers as like that Julian Edelman, Wes Welker type of piece that I think if you play him out of the slot, he's going to be unbelievable for your team. Yeah, I totally agree. And remember, you can use him for trick passes as well. <laughs> Just like that. And yes, he, he had some tremendous throws on the year uh, mm-hmm. in Baltimore and then last week against the Jets. But we'll just see what happens. Only time will tell what happens with the New England Patriots. So now we'll wrap up the show with our comedy bit. I like to say comedy very loosely right now. It's our LOL head scratcher moment of the week. And 
If you've been watching the NFL, I think you know where this is going because <laughs> this so week's head scratcher is going to Doug Peterson, the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. If you've been living in a cave, you should know that the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, who was out of it, facing a division foe, benched his future quarterback. And yes, I'll say it, future quarterback mm-hmm. in Jalen Hurts. When they were down three in the fourth quarter versus Washington, and all they had to do was beat Washington, and they would have knocked them out. It would have been the six and ten Giants. But here comes Peterson putting in Nate Sudfeld in the fourth quarter. Keep in mind, they still have Carson Wentz. They cl- they could have put him in if they really wanted to win. But to me, Johnny, this is just tanking at oh. its highest form. It's as clear as day what Philadelphia was doing. Doug Peterson knew what he was doing. First and foremost, I cannot believe that the Patriots lost a Super Bowl to that dude. Like, I looked at how unbelievably incompetent that man was, and I thought, wow, my team lost a game to this dude. Just unacceptable. But it's, it's inconsolable, honestly, for, for a couple of reasons. One – Think about all the think about Jason Kelsey and Zach Ertz, who this might be their last season. This might be the last time they ever step on the field as a Philadelphia Eagle. And for them, they have amazing memories and love the city. That's how that's what your coach did to you. And there were reports that there were players on the sideline that wanted to fight Doug Peterson. And Jason Kelsey was one that went up to question Doug Peterson. If you're Doug Peterson, either one of two things is true. Either A, you are lying to the media by saying that you did what was best for the team by putting in Nate Sudfield, which is horrible. Or B, you actually believe that Nate Sudfield was going to give you a better chance to win than Jalen Hurts, which if that's the case, he should be fired immediately because that yeah. is just, it's, it's astronomical. So I don't know which one is worse. Yeah. That decision I would say cost him his job. Now I, I, I think he might not be fired this week, but he should be fired like years beyond he should not have that job considering you know you've seen in the past what it could be one decision that ruins your career and -hmm. remember this is the same coach who drew up the philly special on fourth down in the super bowl and he decided to put in probably a guy who shouldn't even be a quarterback in the league probably a third stringer at best over carson wentz over jalen hurts and you would think down three in the fourth quarter, you would want to see this young guy, Jalen Hurts. You'd want to see what he can do in this kind of situation. This is so many head scratchers at this right now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, and uh, I'm trying to find the words, but it, it, it's tough. It's really it, tough. It is I, really I, tough. I, I look, I, I look at this game, and, and I, I look at just like, think about this NFL season out of all the NFL seasons with all of the COVID restrictions and no preseason and the bumps in the roadblocks and how many injury, think about how many guys were injured, especially for Philly. 255 games went on without a scratch. Did you see the Minnesota Lions game? You saw Matt Stafford hobble under the field with three injuries and Kirk Cousins take his boys out playing for nothing. And they balled and they left it all out on the line. And then you look at Philly and you look at the coach and you look at all the players that have sacrificed so much and your coach does that to you. It's an, it's an embarrassment, not only to Philly, it's an embarrassment to the league. Like 
look at the worst part. If you were going, if you're going from like the fourth overall pick to the first overall pick, maybe, maybe, maybe I can understand. He went from ninth to sixth. Are you, what are you, what are you gaining? And they were in the division race, remember, a week ago. This division was so bad that they were like four and nine, and they were still in it. They were still in it. That is embarrassing. Yeah, but if it was me on that team, I would be furious. Any competitor would be furious. And as you were, you were talking situations, you know, I'm going back to a couple of situations this year, and it's completely different. We mentioned Brian Hoyer for Jared Stidham uh, when Mm -hmm. Stidham came in later in the game versus Kansas City. That's yeah. different because yes. they, were, they were trying to compete as well, and it was also early. You have uh, Taysom Hill, who started over Jameis Winston. A lot okay. of questions over it, but this was a contending team for yes. the Saints, and they were thinking what was best, going with the young guy, who's your Swiss Army knife, versus Jameis Winston, whose middle mm-hmm. name is Interception. And then you have, in Miami, Ryan Fitzpatrick for Tua Tagovailoa. That's a two-quarterback system yeah. where you have – Tua, where if he's struggling, you bring in the established veteran in Fitzpatrick. Or if Fitzpatrick, early on in the year when he was struggling, you bring in the young guy. You give the mobility. You give it to Tua Tagovailoa. This is a completely different story. Last game of the season. Last week of the season. Potentially being spoiler to Washington. And he just threw it out the door. That is a shame. And this Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday night football. Don't forget that as well. In prime time, oh the God. very last game of the year in all of the NFL, and Coach Doug Peterson pulls that stunt. I yeah. mean, that is tanking, as I said before, that is tanking in the most visual way possible. I'm just you, I'm baffled. You mentioned it. They have to fire Doug Peterson because if you don't, if you're Philadelphia, and you look at Doug Peterson, you say, okay, we're going to bring him back next year. And you're an Eagles player that just played for that team and just saw your coach does not care about you and will throw games if he feels like it, 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 it benefits the team. Do you want to go play for that guy? Because I, I wouldn't. Would. And if you are good enough to play in the NFL and you have the drive to play in the NFL, nobody in that locker room wants to play for Doug Peterson. You yeah, have and think to about the free agent market too. No one's going to want to go to Philly, and you're starting no. to and you're starting to wonder why Carson Wentz is asking for a trade because of decisions yeah. like that. But we will just say that Doug Peterson, you may have a Super Bowl ring, but you have this week's head scratcher moment of the week. So that will finish up this episode. Special thanks to Johnny Mansaridis. Once again, the nondescript podcast, you can get it on all platforms. Johnny, once again, what can people expect listening to your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking for a place to kickstart your new year or just kickstart life in general and try and get some positivity, you know, get some good practices, some good mental health advice, or just have some fun, come give me a listen. Pick any episode and hopefully you have a good time. All right, once again, Johnny Mansaridis, the nondescript podcast. You can check it out on all platforms. Special thanks to the man we call Johnny Man. Johnny Mansaridis, thank you for joining us. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. And remember, if you've got a point you got to get across, let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak. <laughs>